Okay, so before I start that podcast, I've called this decolonizing subtle, um, decolonizing scholarship of teaching and learning because we are questioning the uh, the structures of power creation. And while I suggest a couple of creative research methods in the podcast, one of the things I want you to really think about and take on board is really embrace participatory research methods um, where your participants have the power of voice, where they can decide how they want to represent themselves. And this might be difficult if you're thinking about quantitative methods because quantitative methods are are much more challenging to open up but if you are thinking about qualitative methods and methods and when you have small cohorts where you want to undertake in-depth project then this is a possibility where you can involve your participants in designing the project, in designing the ways and the forms of knowledge creation and ask them how they would go about contributing. And you might find that the participants all agree on something or they agree on a set of different methods. And um, and this way you have a co-construction of knowledge rather than a voiceover, which very often can happen when you use uh, more rigid um, traditional research methods. And here um, in this particular podcast, when I stop saying um every second every second word, I want to show and share some creative research methods you could use, you could propose and suggest to your participants that would help enable the more silent voices to find a platform. So have a listen see what you think about it, and we'll have a chat about it on MS Teams. Hello, everyone in Course 3B. So the one thing I wanted to talk about today was thinking about decolonizing our subtle project, our scholarship in teaching and learning. And I think one of the key examples is, and I may have mentioned it, two, three, four hundred times before is that very often when um, students suggest or colleagues suggest social projects, the the main methods people fall into are questionnaires, focus groups, and interviews. And there is nothing inherently wrong with either of those methods, as you know, and as we've discussed before. However, Let's think about it from a knowledge creation point of view. Because I would really, really like to encourage people to think beyond some of the traditional methods used. So, for instance, think about developing a questionnaire. Yeah, And very often questionnaires use preset answers. You know, you're using on a scale from one to five. Um, you're using Likert scales. You're using yes and no answers or you're providing example answers from which the participants should choose. Now, you can see that there is a problem with this, potentially, because who decides what the example answers are? Who decides um, which potential answer the participants should vote on on a scale from one to five. Let's squish experience in a scale from one to five to be a bit cynical. But 
You know what I mean? So that means that inevitably designing a questionnaire is already a biased exercise because it is based on our understanding of our expectation of what answers could or might be. Yes, there may be, and there usually are valid reasons for these expectations. But these reasons are usually based on experience or on previous research that was equally restrictive or narrow. So when we are looking into the experience of our learners, we can maybe think about it a bit more a bit more deeply. So very often, um, one of the or one of the most often things that keeps coming up is, yeah, but is my research worthwhile? You know, I'm I'm just undertaking a small project just with my students, and I might just have a small cohort of learners. And yes, of course, it is worthwhile because it is informing your practice and it is informing the experience of the students in your context. And that leads us back to thinking about education is contextual. It's really important in where you are situated, who your learners are, who you are as an educator. So yes, of course, small projects are important as well. And this is why when we approach smaller projects, we could think about them more in depth. You might have a narrow focus. And if you have a narrow focus, the value is not necessarily in big data and discovering massive patterns across big data, but it might be in the depth of the experience and in the learning uh, in more depth with what we call rich data about your student learning experience. So for instance, some years and years back, um, I collaborated with a colleague in astrophysics and they wanted to understand the experience of their early careers, researchers just coming out of their PhDs and then moving into postdocs and then trying to figure out why women in that early stage leave academia. And this is something that was quite, where we expected it was a cultural thing. Yeah, There was something going on that, we couldn't quite just ask a questionnaire about also because there are not that many people. So uh, we got an RA and I trained them into using more creative research methods. So one of the things in, in, uh, in creative research methods is very often you're using proxies to collect data. So imagine I'm running an interview or a focus group. What are some of the, of the issues you are having there? So one of the issues might be that if you are in a focus group and you're not a very experienced mediator or interviewer, you'll, you'll can get one or two very loud voices that then lead to a group think or that just literally drown out the quieter voices who may or may not want to say something if what they have to say contradicts the louder voices. In a direct one-to-one -one interview, we are thinking about power distance, power disparities. Are you the person who may mark their students? You know, there's, there's potentially an issue here. Or have you been an educator for that student for a long time and they have a trust uh, relationship with you? This is different. Or 
do you think they have a trust relationship with you, but they may not think the same. So this all influences answers. Now, if we are using proxies that helps people to create to create their experience in something else and communicate that to the researcher through that proxy, and I explain those in a second. And what that does is it makes the it makes the participant more confident in sharing things they may not share when asked directly because they are talking through an object. So the creation of the proxy can help you to to reach more subconscious processes that you wouldn't necessarily or people wouldn't necessarily be able to express if they ask direct questions. But doing something with with your hands, creating something helps to translate these more intangible experiences into something that is tangible, that can become a proxy for conversation. So what are proxies? What am I talking about? Or objects? So basically, there can be anything. So I've talked about it a little bit earlier in the visual research uh, podcast. But it can also be what we used in the project I mentioned just just there. We used collages. So we asked... um, the the early careers researchers or emerging researchers to sit together and we got a, a whole bunch of free magazines you know that a lot of shops and so have free magazines or cities have their free magazines and um and asked them to create collages from images and words that they that had meaning to them or that jumped out on them and they could also use pens and glue and they were creating these big collages and we got such rich data out of that and they were talking about experiences that were rather emotional that were very powerful and it would have been very difficult to catch that in a focus group or catch that through a questionnaire because some of that was very personal, some of that was very intensive. And so creating that situation where the participants jointly co-created an object, a collage, and then we are talking about that. We are interviewed afterwards to explain the collage, how that happened, what the different images mean. That also gives the participant the chance to remove themselves from what they talk about a little bit. You know, is is taking that step back and talking about their creation, the art they created, rather than themselves. And the other thing is doing this as a smaller group. Here, um, it's easier maybe to manage these group dynamics and people who are quieter may not speak out loud, but they still contribute physically in the creation of the collage. And then if asked about different aspects of the collage, the quieter voices are given a better better platform to, to communicate. You can use Lego. There is um, there is research, very very um, extensive body of research on Lego Serious Play, which focuses a lot on identity research. For instance, you can use Play-Doh. You can uh, use Doodles. Yesterday, if you follow on Twitter the hashtag um, Creative Methods Chat, I need to actually. I'll, I'll post the hashtag in the description. Um, so uh, it's run by Helen Kara and it's a creative research methods chat she runs, I think, 
once a week or once a month um and it is really interesting the hashtag is cr methods chat and they were talking about comics so using comic strips as for research and i think that that could be really interesting as well because it helps that meaning making but there are also other things you could use. You could use uh, blackout poetry. You can use haikus. Um, you can use particular if you have students who like patterns and and very clear rules. Haikus have very very clear rules and instructions. And creating something is, is uh, one of those. Is almost like creating, you know, like like constructing something. Um, so these different methods can help to exp different voices to find a way to express themselves. You can also ask your participants what it is they actually want to produce. You know, you could suggest things and let them choose and then have different representations. So this is one of the things I've, I was quite keen to bring across as well is think about your methods more widely. I know we are, we are introducing some of the, some of the key methods in the course, um, and this is particularly to the benefit of colleagues who are from non-cognate discipline and they are getting your head around social science research methods is quite, is quite challenging to begin with. But if you want to challenge yourself a little further or um, want to explore this a little bit further, then creative research methods can be a way to enable voices that are quite often silenced or that are quite often invisible. So um, I'll talk about this more and I hope this little whistle stop tour makes some sort of sense and as usual, ask questions in the chat.